I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Many people think of the immune system as an army fighting off invaders. In reality, it's more like a peacekeeping force. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. immune system is always trying to maintain harmony in your body. On the one hand, it has to keep you safe from pathogens that want to take over. You know, bacteria like staph, strep, or C. diff. There are also viruses and fungi that can cause trouble. On the other hand, if the immune system goes overboard, you can develop devastating autoimmune conditions like lupus, Crohn's disease, psoriasis, or rheumatoid arthritis. How does your immune system maintain the proper balance? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, learn about an elegant defense. First, the news. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, an observational study from Italy suggests that hydroxychloroquine can reduce the risk of death in hospitalized patients with COVID-19. The investigators reviewed the records of 3,451 coronavirus patients between late February and late May 2020. 76% of these people were given hydroxychloroquine while they were hospitalized. The death rate per 1,000 patient days was 8.9 for people on hydroxychloroquine and 15.7 for those who did not get the drug. After adjusting for confounding variables... People who received hydroxychloroquine had a 30% lower risk of death. Those who had high levels of the inflammatory marker C-reactive protein when they entered the hospital were especially likely to benefit from this old malaria drug. The authors note that large randomized controlled trials are needed to fully evaluate the role of hydroxychloroquine in treating patients with COVID-19. When scientists first learned that SARS-CoV-2 uses the ACE2 receptor to get into human cells and infect them, people began to worry that medications working through these receptors might prove dangerous. A recent meta-analysis of 10 studies should be reassuring, though. There were nearly 29,000 people included in these trials. The investigators found that people taking ACE inhibitors or related drugs called ARBs for hypertension were only two-thirds as likely to die or require intensive care ventilation. Approximately one-third of the hypertensive COVID-19 patients in the study were taking one of these medicines. The authors do not recommend that people start taking one of these drugs against COVID-19, but rather that people already taking one for high blood pressure should not stop. They may be getting unexpected protection against the coronavirus. Have you noticed some people wearing their face masks pulled down below their noses? That's not great. Researchers at the University of North Carolina have found that cells in the nose appear targeted by the SARS-CoV-2 virus that causes COVID-19. These nasal cells are rich in ACE2 receptors that makes them especially susceptible to infection. The scientists say that covering both nose and mouth is crucial for protecting yourself from infection as well as protecting others if you become infected. 
The head of the Food and Drug Administration got into trouble with his colleagues by overstating the effectiveness of convalescent plasma against COVID-19. Dr. Hahn stated that this old-fashioned treatment strategy would save the lives of 35 out of 100 patients. This statement was misleading because he confused relative risk reduction with absolute risk reduction. Convalescent plasma comes from the blood of people who have recovered from COVID-19. The plasma is rich in antibodies that can help fight off the coronavirus. In a preliminary study, the absolute risk of death in people who got infusions was three to five points lower than in people who did not. After a month, 22% of people treated with plasma had died compared to 27% of those who did not get that treatment. Dr. Hahn has acknowledged that his original statement was incorrect. Generic drugs are supposed to save Americans big bucks. The FDA proudly proclaims that generic drug approvals by the agency save more than $10 billion annually. While there's no doubt that most generic drugs cost far less than their brand-name counterparts, some are still surprisingly pricey. A number of generic drug makers have reached legal settlements for fixing prices. The most recent company to face charges from the Justice Department is one of the world's largest generic drug manufacturers, Teva. The prosecutors allege Teva participated in three different conspiracies of generic pharmaceutical firms, costing consumers at least $350 million. Medications for high cholesterol, arthritis, pain, seizures, brain cancer, and high blood pressure are listed in the litigation. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. What do you know about your immune system? Do you think of it as an army fighting off all invaders? Many people do, but that metaphor might be misleading and maybe a little too militaristic. Our guest today suggests we could do better by thinking of our immune systems as a peacekeeping force striving to maintain harmony. To help us better understand the complexity of our immune system and how it works, we're speaking today with Matt Richtel. He's a reporter at the New York Times who won the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting with a series of articles he expanded into his first nonfiction book. It was a New York Times bestseller, A Deadly Wandering. His most recent book is An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System. A Tale in Four Lives. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Matt Rechtel. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. Matt, we have been looking for years for an introduction to the human immune system. It's so incredibly complicated. It's so important. And finally, after literally decades, we have found it. You've written it. Thank you so much, now, you've suggested that the immune system is the last frontier in modern medicine. How did you get sucked in? How did you take on this mammoth task? 
Joe, you're so right. I got sucked in. <laughs> I was this had a this had the gravity of a black hole because what else would prompt you to tr- take on such a gargantuan system unless you had been like magnetized. So, first I just want to say good word choice. <laughs> so I wait, I suppose I'm supposed to answer the question, right? That well, it'd be nice. Yeah. Yes, I, okay. All right, listen. In a word, a miracle. Uh may I tell you about it? Please. Okay. You got to travel back in time with me briefly to Boulder, Colorado, where I grew up. Not the town you think of now, kind of a dusty university town at the time. And I was blessed with a group of um, really great friends in high school and even having gone back years before. And one of them was Jason. I want you to picture Jason. He is Mr. Everything in high school. He's all-state baseball, all-state basketball, great-looking guy, gets all the girls, um, all that stuff. And life takes a pretty dark turn for Greeny, that was his nickname, Jason Greenstein, when we're in our 40s. So just a few years ago, he comes down with uh, Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is which is a, a, a cancer. All right. You got the picture so far. We got a guy who's kind of shot the moon and then life takes a dark turn. And it's a nasty cancer. Well... Actually, remarkably enough, it bec- you're right, it becomes nasty, but it doesn't start that way. This is one of those cancers where you say, well, if you got to have cancer, this is the one you want. It's got a 90 plus percent cure rate with chemo and radiation. But Jason, unfortunately, is on the other side of the spectrum. And about three years ago, after several years of failed chemo and radiation, our hero has 15 pounds of lymphoma in his back, doubling every few weeks. And his oncologist in Denver says, Jason, I love you, man, but it's time to go home and die. Wow. Yes. And this is a setup for a miracle because Jason goes home. He's essentially in hospice, but he's asked about, as he would put it, that one drug. That one drug was an immunotherapy drug. I know over the course of this conversation, we'll get into what that is. But in very brief, it tinkers with the immune system on a molecular level. He takes this Hail Mary. It's not on the market, off-label. Two weeks later, his girlfriend wakes him up and says, Jason, get out of bed. Your tumors have disappeared. Oh, my goodness. Like Lazarus, Jason rises from the grave not just one foot in, but nine toes in. And here I am, his buddy and a New York Times health and science reporter, and I pick up my pen. And to ask your question, what what drew me to this, Joe? Well, I had to find out what the heck just happened. Well, the story you tell about Jason Greeny is just extraordinary. I mean, he is such an amazing individual and was on such a roller coaster ride because, as you said, he was on death's doorstep. And I'm sure that emotionally that was hard on him. It was on his family. It was hard on his girlfriend. It was hard on you, his friend, his best friend. And yet there he is making an extraordinary recovery. You must have been first thrilled, 
astonished. And as you say, you wanted to find out what the heck happened and what was the drug? How do you pronounce it? Nivolumab? Nivolumab. And and you know what, Joe, I concede to you, um, there's no more um, difficult set of pronunciation circumstances than immunology. I mean, you want to talk, it's a, it's a sub, sub, subplot to this, but you, you're right to focus on pronunciation. It's called Navulamab. Here's the big picture, though. When that story unfolded, there had been some writing about immunology, uh, sorry, about immunotherapy. And as I began to ask the questions, I realized it was not enough to understand immunotherapy. If I was really going to tell myself, learn myself, satisfy my curiosity, but also the reader, I had to go back to square one. What is the immune system in the first place? And that is how I wound up really at the most basic starting point. Not where are we now, but what is this thing and where have we come from? Well, you wrote a whole book about it, so I won't ask you to answer the question in one sentence, but can you take a stab at answering it in two or three? Or a paragraph? And the, 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 which is the question I, I should answer in two or three? What is the immune system anyway? What's it doing? Okay, I'm going to do this in three sentences, and then if you want me to unpack them, I will. One, it is not at all what I thought. It is not a war machine, but a peacekeeping force. And two, it is a fierce combination of a bouncer and a ballet dancer that is aimed at protecting you, but doing as little damage as possible to you uh, through collateral damage and to your environment, which is filled with microbes. Wow. You've done it. But it's really complicated. We are going to need a little bit of unpacking. And I think to do that, we might want to turn to your wonderful metaphor that you use throughout the book of the festival of life, because I think both the bouncer and the ballet dancer are in there somewhere. Yeah. So since I wrote the book, um, I think even at the time, there was another reference that I would have made that I think helps explain the immune system. I decided not to make put this in the book, but it really works well in conversation. Do you guys remember the movie The Matrix? Of course. All right. Great I movie. Got a great movie with a really powerful image that actually helps explain the immune system by explaining the context that it and we live in. Do you remember in The Matrix when the main characters or the people in the know realize there's ones and zeros everywhere? Uh-huh. They're surrounded by data. Well, here's the first thing that you have to know about the immune system is its context. We are surrounded by microbes. They are on our microphones. They are on the steering wheels of the cars your listeners are driving or on their desks, but more so than anything else, they're on our skin, they're in our gut. Why is that so important to know? When I started this book, you guys, and I wonder if this resonates, I thought of the immune system as this like extraordinarily capable, violent um, special forces unit that got rid of everything foreign to us. Does that resonate at all as kind of a 
general conception? Yeah. I, I think so. I think that's how most people think of it. No, we think of it as sort of war. You know, they're all them, yeah. the invaders, and, and our immune system is the defenders, and then it goes on the attack. Yes, total us and them, how I walked into this. And what I learned was that were it that way, if that was the real immune system, we it would be scorched earth. Essentially, this extraordinary network inside of us, which I think we'll wind up getting into, would destroy everything around us and us in the process because much of what is around us isn't threatening. Much of what's in us that is foreign isn't threatening. And more so than that, if you go after everything, you're going to die anyway. It's nuclear holocaust. So that was the first big point I had to understand. Far from being a war machine, and here comes the second sentence of this, your immune system is essentially a peacekeeping force, like a UN peacekeeping force that has to do damage sometimes, but is really trying to do it while preserving as much harmony and cooperation with the environment as possible. And that is essential to our daily health and our longevity. You are listening to New York Times reporter Matt Rechtel. He received the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting for a series of articles that were expanded into his first book, A Deadly Wandering. His new book is An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. How do you think of your immune system? Have you ever considered it to be a peacekeeping force? Well, in just a moment, we'll talk more with Matt Rechtel, and he'll describe the festival of life and how the ballet dancer and the bouncer fit into that. After the break, we'll also find out about the immune system and how it figures out what is dangerous and what isn't. What are the differences between the adaptive and the innate immune system? Oh, why do they matter? We'll also learn why doctors refer to B-cells and T-cells. What do those mysterious names mean? Oh, what's more, what do B-cells and T-cells actually do? T-cells and B-cells are different from other cells in the body. Find out how. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy podcast is supported in part by Cocovia. Cocovia cocoflavanols support both cardiovascular health and cognitive function by promoting healthy blood flow. That transports oxygen and nutrients to vital organs and muscles, including your heart and brain. Cocovia now comes in an even more concentrated formula with 450 milligrams of cocoflavanols, five times more than the leading dark chocolate bar, and 15 times more than the leading cocoa powder. Cocovia has a proprietary process that preserves cocoflavanols at the highest levels. The product undergoes rigorous testing at every stage to guarantee the highest level of cocoflavanols per serving, and to provide the purest, highest quality product possible. People's Pharmacy listeners can now try Cocovia for 25% off by using the code 
peoples25 at cocovia.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. If you'd like to purchase a CD of this show, you can call 800-732-2334. This is show number 1170. That number again, 800-732-2334. Or you can place the order online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can also download the podcast there. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. We're talking today about the incredibly complex immune system. How does it help protect us from infections or from cancer? How does it discriminate between friend and foe? What happens when the immune system goes awry? Our guest is Matt Richtel. He is a reporter at the New York Times who won the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting with a series of articles he expanded into his first nonfiction book. It was a New York Times bestseller, A Deadly Wandering. His recent book is An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. Matt, we sometimes think of the immune system as doing most of its work by discriminating between what's self and what's not self. But it sounds as though it's doing a whole lot more than that. How does the immune system figure out what's dangerous and what isn't? Yeah. So great question. And the first thing I want to say is, just to finish the thought, I mentioned that it's a bouncer and a ballet dancer. Big picture, and then I'll come to how it does this, is it is a combination of a bouncer that throws out of the body with sometimes extraordinary violence what needs throwing out through all kinds of nasty, tough you know, poison gas and explosions and spies. But it's also part ballet dancer in that it seeks to do that very judiciously. So now let's go to your question. How does it do that? Well, it does look, Terry, very often for self and non-self. It is regularly making that distinction. But here's what's key. It's not always destroying non-self. And sometimes, unfortunately, it is destroying self. It is trying to keep a balance such that it attacks non-self when non-self is threatening. Okay? Non-self is not always not... (laughs) You guys want to help me out with a double negative? (laughs) Well... (laughs) Help me out of a double negative here on on public radio. There are times that non-self is not threatening. Right. And there are times that self gets accidentally attacked. The idea, the core idea, is to preserve self and attack non-self that is threatening. So how does it do that? The way it does that is through a system and a network that is essentially unparalleled or with few parallels on the planet Earth in terms of complexity. Perhaps the human brain. There are a series of molecules, 
checks, balances, spies, assessors, sophisticated immune cells, less sophisticated immune cells, all that combine together to essentially dictate how we view the world and how we determine what is worth attacking and what is worth cooperating or harmonizing with. May I take you through some of that network? Please. Okay. One other tiny bit of preface on the way to that, which is to note that a lot of what I'm describing to you is fairly new, and it's worth noting why. So what I'm going to describe to you, we now understand to be so. But for many, many years, immunology, this basic stuff I'm going to describe to you, which is so essential to medicine that medicine is beginning to curb around it, to yield to this knowledge, was unknown to us. And the simple reason is it's happening at a molecular level, at levels science just could not grasp and see. And so for as fundamental as, as what I am about to describe to you is, we discovered it relatively late. Okay, the first thing I want to let you know is, much to my surprise as I was going through this, there really are two fundamental immune systems. Is that something that you guys, does that, had you guys known that already? We had. We'd heard of both the innate and the adaptive immune system. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. And so, and I don't know why you guys didn't write the book. It would have been easier for you. Oh, no. I had a lot of catching up to do. Too big a project. But, you know, you describe those those adaptive immune systems, the B cells and the T cells, and you do it elegantly. Can you give us a quick summary? Yes. So um, would it be okay, Joe? Let me ask you, though. Can I I set up the innate system first? You bet. Because it comes first, even though you're right to ask about the adaptive First, because we actually discovered it scientifically first, which is odd because it's in many ways the more sophisticated of the systems. But here's how I like to think about it. When you get an initial insult, which is the broad term for when your festival of life, Terry, you alluded to this earlier, your body is a festival of life. It's teeming with all these molecules and cells and other things. It's a big take all comers bash. When into that bash comes an insult, so this could be the inhalation of a pneumonia that's pathogenic, that's dangerous, or a poke of a stick that has bacteria in it, immediately, instantaneously, there is a swarm of cells that belong to your innate immune system. This is your fire and police squads. Their job is to assess and contain the damage, and no kidding, to essentially file a report to a more sophisticated set of enforcement officers. So when these guys come in, I think of it like a multi-car crash scene. Here's the stick poking into your body, and onto that site come a bunch of different cells. There are cells that are assessing. There are cells that are swallowing up um, incoming cells that may may cause damage. There are cells that are carrying away particles— to have them tested in labs called lymph nodes. This is that first moment. It is your innate immune response. Okay, you with me so far? So far, so good. So far, so good. All right. Here's the thing. 
sometimes that innate immune response will suffice. And we all know what this looks like. This looks like your arm getting red. One little bit of trivia that I found really interesting was, you know how you get a poke of a stick and then two days later the space around it's actually bigger and redder than it was to begin with? Mm -hmm. Has that ever happened to you guys? Sure. Sure. I wondered why that was, and it turns out it's pretty interesting. Basically, that innate system is actually clearing out a bigger field so that it can begin the rebuilding process. Important to note here is that your immune system, especially your innate system, is not only part of this janitorial emergency crew, but it's also part of the rebuilding process, which later becomes very important when we think of things like cancer. So you've got this innate thing, but let's say the particle that's entered you is really dangerous. It's a Klebsiella, it's an E. coli, it's a salmon, who knows what it is, but it's, it's something that would seek to invade your body. The innate system doesn't really have the precision killers associated with it to destroy the virus, bacteria, or parasite with the efficiency and effectiveness that needs killing. In other words, your innate system can start the job but can't finish it. You got a problem on your hands. So along comes these cells. I'll give the name to one. It's called a dendritic cell. It eats up pieces of this particle and it carries it to your lymph nodes. So you go to the doctor, you know, your doctor feels your lymph nodes on your neck or under your armpit. Those swell up because inside those cells, you've got innate defenders that have carried a chunk of this bad guy. And they've said to cells inside your lymph node, hey, does anybody recognize this cell? So this is the part you were talking about filing a report. They're filing a report. They're saying the innate system is taking it upstairs to administration. (laughs) They've brought it up to the executive suite and they've said, hey, we got a problem here. And this is where we meet the adaptive immune system. One of the most sophisticated networks in the world, I mentioned that earlier, but specifically this part of it is no less than mind-boggling and magnificent. In brief, I'm going to tell you what it does, but then I want to step back and tell you what makes it, even as I describe it to you now, give me shivers as I learned in the book how this thing came to be. You've got two cells in your adaptive, two main cells, lots of molecules, lots of cells, but two main actors that we often think about, people have heard of. T-cells and B-cells. And what these are capable of doing is reading that information brought to it or that passes by it and say, hey, I recognize that pathogen. I recognize that bacteria or virus or parasite. And I hold, only I, says one T-cell or B-cell, hold the key to its destruction. Really important what I'm going over right now. In the millions, hundreds of millions of T-cells and B-cells in your body, there are one or a handful that hold the key to each pathogen, virus, parasite that would do us harm. And they have to be located. Once located, they begin production of fighters They build a factory and they send precision fighters to go 
and destroy this invader. A Nate cell contains the damage, collects information, files a report. B cells and T cells are the special operations forces that finish the job. How did they get those names, B cells and T cells? It seems so mysterious. It, it, it's, it's so mysterious, and the answer is actually surprisingly banal. I had no idea. The B cell, well, you got to go back way back in time when someone discovered on a chicken, and this I mentioned this as a bit of trivia in the book, I don't remember, 15th, 16th century, this sack-like organ on a chicken called a bursa. Bursa means purse, I believe in Italian. Does that does that ring yeah. true? Yep, I believe yep. so. And it turned out that the bursa in poultry makes these B cells, but in in the human being, it's bone marrow. Both had B, so that was convenient. In the human being, the T cells get generated in the thymus, which is sort of this what we long thought was a vestigial organ in your neck, in sort of in your neck area, and they originate there. Just a really interesting thing before I tell you. The, the second part of the origin story, which is kind of mind-boggling, but we talk about accepting of self and non-self. And, you know, it's interesting. I discovered in science that scientists sometimes have a lot of trouble distinguishing self from non-self. And when these ideas of the B-cell and T-cell first originated, a lot of people didn't want to accept that they were central. And one science said to me, he, this was a guy involved in their discoveries, and someone came up to me in the scientific community and said, I'll tell you what B and T stand for. The only thing they're good for is the first and last letters in bull and then the expletive that followed. And the point being there that this is how recent these these discoveries are that even as of, you know, 60, 70 years ago, people were calling foul on what we now understand to be bedrock. So, Matt, what you say is in the book, you've said... uh... Antibody encoding genes are unlike all other normal genes. And this refers to this adaptive immune system cells. Please tell us about that. Why are they so different? Yeah. What what makes the T cells and B cells so amazing is they have a job that is perhaps unlike any other on the planet. They have to be prepared to deal with any number of possible pathogens that might confront our bodies. Now, remember, most of the stuff we confront, most of the microbes are not going to harm us. But on the flip side, how could we come equipped? How could we possibly be equipped with the capability to fight off the almost infinite number of possible genetic variations that would attack us. When this question was asked of me, my head kind of exploded because the clarity of the question increasingly became clear. It is an essentially a task that has an infinite number of problems or complications that could confront us. The answer came from a Nobel Prize winning effort in the 70s that tells us what makes the T cell and B cell so different. When these cells originate in our body, they do something extraordinary. The genes inside them rearrange at random. 
This is so of no other genetic material or cells in our bodies. So, in this genetic rearrangement process, you create almost infinite forms of genetic material capable of recognizing infinite forms of invader life. Inside your bodies, Terry and Joe, inside mine, may well be the capability of recognizing a life form that hasn't even landed on the planet yet. Now, there are two reasons this is magnificent to me. One is that it explains the value of diversity in our immune systems. We need to have different immune systems because if they were all the same, when something like the Black Plague visited, or HIV, or the bird flu, we might all die. We need that diversity. But the other thing that's worth noting here is it helps explain some basic stuff we experience every day. You know when you go to your doctor and they say, well, it looks like you have the flu, you're going to feel these symptoms for at least five to ten days. You know, have you heard that? Like, that's if you've heard anything from a doctor, you've heard five to ten days, right? Exactly. Whatever you take in the pharmacy, you'll get better in a week. <laughs> if you take nothing at all, it'll go away in seven days. Yeah, seven. You're right. It's seven to ten days because that is the time your innate system has to file that report. It's got to find that one in a million, which in turn has to rev up its factories. Revving up those factories can take some time. You're listening to New York Times reporter Matt Rechtel. He received the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting for a series of articles that he expanded into his first book, A Deadly Wandering. His new book is An Elegant Defense, The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. And Terry, it really is an extraordinary book. We have been waiting for someone to write this book for so long. It is such a great explanation of how the immune system works. After the break, we'll talk about the delicate balance the immune system strives to maintain. When we talk about autoimmune conditions, what exactly do we mean? The drugs that are used to treat these disorders can boomerang unexpectedly. Find out about the serious complications of immune-modulating drugs. We'll also discuss the downside of immune-suppressing medications and how immunotherapy can be used to treat cancer like Jason's. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This People's Pharmacy podcast is brought to you in part by Verizona.com. Verizona Lab offers home health tests that allow you to monitor your hormones and health conditions. You can take control of the quantitative assessment of your health and learn about male and female hormone balance, the stress hormone cortisol, leaky gut, gluten intolerance, or your gut microbiome. Take a more active role in tracking your health and take 20% off your first order of a mail-in testing opportunity with the discount code PEOPLE. That's P-E-O-P-L-E, all uppercase. To learn more, go to Verizona.com. That's V E. 
R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. Welcome back to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. To purchase a CD of today's show or any People's Pharmacy broadcast, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is 1170 That number again, 800-732-2334, or you can find it at peoplespharmacy.com. You can also download the free podcast from our web store, and we invite you to consider writing a review. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Kaya Biotics, probiotic products made in Germany from certified organic ingredients. K-A-Y-A Biotics.com. We're talking about your immune system today. Cancer immunotherapy is an important advance in oncology, but are there serious consequences when you alter the delicate balance of the immune system? Our guest is New York Times reporter Matt Rechtel. He was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting for a series of articles that were expanded into his first book, A Deadly Wandering. His new book is An Elegant Defense. The Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. Matt, I'd like to flip the coin for a second, because what we've been talking about is invaders and pathogens and viruses and bacteria and parasites and all those nasty things just waiting, lurking for an attack on us. But there's another side of the immune system, and that is what we call autoimmunity. And I worry sometimes, and so does Bob Fauci, and you can mention, you know, who he is, this idea of boosting the immune system. And in fact, all you have to do is, um, you know, go into any health food store and there are all kinds of immune boosting dietary supplements just waiting to help you prevent or overcome a cold. But autoimmunity is in some respects just as harmful to our body as not being prepared for the next flu attack. So help us understand this delicate ballet that you've described between enough, just enough, but not too much when it comes to the immune system. Yeah, look, your immune system is more dangerous, if not more dangerous to you than anything outside of your body, full stop. Inside your body, your immune system, as we've discussed, is trying to strike this delicate balance. It also is equipped with these tremendous fighters. The trouble is when it loses balance, and it often loses balance, it begins to react like a bull in a china shop, like a 10-year-old boy in a candy store with a baseball. And I say that with a baseball-playing 10-year-old. It is a reckless not mean-spirited, but out-of-control creature. So, the reason why the conception of the immune system that we began with is so important right now, the reason it's become so important in medicine in general, is that doctors, scientists, others have begun to realize that at the center of medicine is maintaining the balance of this immune system, is making sure that it's capable of attacking, but not over-attacking. Jason exhibited what happens when the immune system was not working well enough such that cancer attacked him. 
As I started writing the book, I realized, well, that's a powerful story. It's meaningful to me, but it's not the story of the immune system. The immune system is much broader than that. It's the story of when the immune system doesn't do enough. If you prefer a Goldilocks metaphor, it's when it does it just right. And it's when it does it too much. And there are two women in this book, Linda and Meredith, who suffer autoimmune disorders. And it is extremely painful to watch them. It is exciting in a, I mean, it, it's, it's energizing to see their courage. It's um, enlightening to see how they fight and seek to discover. But what has essentially happened inside both of these women is that the immune system, aimed in many ways at protecting the body from outside invaders, has turned on these women's own tissue and to horrible effect in certain cases. Pain, fever, exhaustion, delirium, rashes, blood in the stool, all these things that you would say, oh, surely you must have something attacking you. Yeah, you don't. You've got an invisible pathogen, if you will. There is no pathogen. But just because it's invisible doesn't make it any less real. And here I introduce you to the challenging, difficult world of autoimmune disorders. Tell us about Meredith in particular, because she had a really rough time. Yeah. So Meredith Branscombe coincidentally grew up in Colorado where I where I grew up and Jason grew up. I didn't know her, but I, I met her as I was reporting this. And, you know, I watched this thing transpire that is was so evocative to me. One day back interviewing her for this book, she said, I want to show you something. Let's go outside in the sun. And we went for a hike and she covered one arm and left one arm exposed to dry Colorado, high altitude heat. It was a summer afternoon. And within minutes the arm that was uncovered, the hand that was uncovered began to balloon up as if, I don't know, it had been, she'd been stung by a wasp. She said, you are watching my immune system out of control in response to the sun. I urge readers to read about her symptoms because some of them will surely resonate with the many, many people women in particular who suffer from autoimmunity. And I think it's worth explaining by women in particular, if you'll permit, are disproportionately affected by these kinds of events. We would like to know that. And what kinds of conditions are we talking about beyond what Meredith had? Lupus, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease. I, You know, I uh, right now sitting here in front of the radio, many of the names escape me. But um, there's Hashimoto's, gastro, things that affect your gastrointestine, things that give you ra uh, rashes, things that give you joint pain. A lot of times they wind up focused on the joints. And, and um, I have there's, a much bigger list in the book. Yeah, go sure, ahead, please. Sure, there's psoriasis and psoriatic yes. arthritis and all that stuff, too. Yes, thank you. I, I, there, there's such a long list, they sometimes escape me. They all have these core principles, and oftentimes, more, as often as not, they affect, or more often than not, women. Why? Well, it turns out that women, on the whole, have a stronger immune system than men. That's at least the theory. Why is that? Well, this comes from um, some research in the book from one of the leading 
rheumatologists in the world, Bevra Hahn, who works at UCLA and is the head of one of the big rheumatology societies in the world and in the country. And she says, look, women confer immunity to babies through breast milk, through gestation. They were uh, they were his- caregivers historically, which may have meant that they needed more immunity. They have more fatty cells. They have more fat tissue, which means more cells, which just means by math, more immune cells. What does it add up to? Well, women actually may well live longer because of this, and they do live longer, but it comes with the risk of the bouncer and the ballet dancer getting off balance, losing balance. As we age, lots of things in our bodies lose the balance or capacity to regain balance that they had when we were younger. In some ways, we're outliving a purpose that our evolutionary biology designed us for. And as women's immune systems lose balance, the bouncer, the tough guy, winds up getting a little more power and the ballet dancer winds up faltering a little more. And that's why you wind up with so many autoimmune disorders in women. Well, you know, one of the things that I found so interesting about Meredith's case, and it's sort of a metaphor for a lot of the drugs that we have, is here was a treatment that she had to have to control a lot of her symptoms that then ended up kind of doing that boomerang thing because she was out walking her dog and boom, she ended up in real trouble. What happened? Yeah. So I need to just step back to Jason for a second to, to put this in context and explain these new groups of medicines that have become among the best selling, really the best selling medicines in the world. They're called immunotherapy very broadly. So all this learning that we've done that I chronicle in the book adds up to us being able to tinker at a molecular level with the immune system. In a case like Jason, we are now able to turn up the volume, if you will, on the immune system. We're able to have his immune system be more aggressive than it was when it failed to destroy his cancer. And that's why within weeks, the immune system did what it had been designed to do attack a cancer that had stymied the immune system. In Meredith's case and in Linda's case, both women with autoimmune disorders, they took drugs that had the, in effect, opposite effect of turning down the volume on the immune system. So, quick bit of trivia, who would have ever thought cancer an autoimmune disorder could be thought of as opposite sides of the same coin. But through the, the, the lens of the immune system, you could see them that way. The trouble is, when you turn up the immune system, as in Jason's case, we've already learned you can do collateral damage. When you turn down the immune system, you can create all kinds of problems. For instance, you could become more susceptible to virus, bacteria, infection, And the people who take these drugs have to be very, very careful. If I'm not mistaken, the story you're referring to is when Meredith tripped and fell and her bones were very weak and they they really shattered. Is that right? Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. When you take all these medicines, you have all kinds of potential side effects. Now, the shattering of her bones may have come from taking steroids, which are also aimed at reducing the inflammation, reducing the bouncer in your, your immune system. Everybody listening, p- 
please understand this delicate balance. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't take drugs that could be very helpful to you, but I implore you to be an informed patient and have a really thoughtful conversation with your clinician, your doctor, and ask him or her to help you with the fine print. It is critical. Just as miraculous as these drugs can be, they can be just as dangerous because they are tinkering with this powerful mechanism. Well, as a matter of fact, Matt, we recently got an email from a listener who had been paying attention to drug ads on television. And this person was responding to an ad for, I don't know, Humira or Embrel, one yep. of one of the drugs that kind of calms the immune system down. And yes. they noticed that um, in that really quick, cheerful uh, voice that they used to talk about the side effects, that they talked about infections, um, fungal infections and other sorts yes. of infections that could take over. So this is then a serious potential consequence of taking such medications, isn't it? Oh, serious, capital S, bold the word and italicize it. And kudos to your listener. I quote one of those ads in the book. Again, I'm not saying these can't be helpful. In Linda's case, she had been a professional golfer whose hands ballooned up. Um, she had been the first female partner at Boston Consulting Group, or sorry, one of the first. She was a high-powered individual who was nearly undone, and the, these drugs have been wondrous for her. So I don't want to discourage their taking, but what I want to underscore, high, bold, italicize, and everything else is, yes, these are very serious issues. You must be aware as you approach these new medicines, that anything with that kind of power invariably has something you've got to pay attention to on the flip side. And that was certainly true for Jason as well. I mean, here was immunotherapy. I think the drug in question was Optivo, and yep. um, it saved his life. I mean, it defeated the cancer, yes. but it also killed him. Yeah. Um, you know, our... Our our story ends in a really bittersweet way. Jason got an extra year. Um, and then for a variety of reasons, maybe all the chemo and radiation, maybe the immunotherapy, which caused his lungs to begin shutting down. Uh, my wife, who's a physician, and I had the, I suppose, the privilege to be at his bedside when he took his last breath. And... Um, yeah, it was, um, you know, it, it it was so instructive in many ways. I, I, I guess, uh, let me do this. Uh, you guys, it's Jason's birthday today. So let's say happy birthday, Greeny. His girlfriend sent me a note this morning. I said, uh, I, I, I said, I carry him around with me like a grinning leprechaun. Um, he was ever the optimist. He wanted his story told, um, especially when he was, back, you know, living the high Jason life and things were going great. But I think he would have wanted it told anyway, because it it gives the full spectrum. Um, and it tells us something very powerful, not only about these drugs, but about in the end about the immune system. May I leave you with a final punchline? Please. 
as much as the immune system is helping us survive a very challenging world through cooperation, harmony, and violence, it is also sowing the seeds of our own individual death. And I, because our time is tight, but also because I don't want to give it all away, it turns out that one of the most powerful lessons of the immune system is that what it is here to preserve is not the individual, but the species. And when you see in the stories and the science, the way it does this, it sort of uh, leads to kind of either existential crisis, uh, acceptance, or just in my case, just a wonderful new insight into uh, how our world is built and how we fit within it. Life and death are so closely linked for the individual and the species. And um, in the end, I suppose this book is an effort to explain that um, as well as the immune system. Matt Richtel, thank you so much for writing An Elegant Defense, and thank you for talking with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Matt Richtel. He's a reporter at the New York Times who won the Pulitzer Prize for National Reporting with a series of articles he expanded into his first nonfiction book. It was a New York Times bestseller, A Deadly Wandering. His newest book is An Elegant Defense, the Extraordinary New Science of the Immune System, A Tale in Four Lives. If you want to better understand the incredible complexity of your immune system, we cannot recommend an elegant defense highly enough. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Al Wadarski engineered. Dave Graydon edits our interviews. The People's Pharmacy is produced at the studios of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Verizana, an analytical laboratory providing home health tests for hormones, gut health, and the microbiome. Online at V-E-R-I-S-A-N-A dot com. If you'd like to buy a CD of today's show or any other People's Pharmacy episode, you can call 800-732-2334. Today's show is number 1170. That number again, 800-732-2334. Find it at our website, peoplespharmacy.com. When you visit our site, you can share your thoughts about today's show. Have you taken an immune-suppressing medication? What was your experience with it? Perhaps you or someone you know has been treated for cancer with immunotherapy. What's your perspective on that? Please share your story. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter or subscribe to the free podcast of the show. You'll never miss another episode, and you can share it with a friend. When you sign up for the newsletter, you'll get our free e-guide to favorite home remedies. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do 
and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.